Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You wake up in the morning, and then what happens? <laughs> oh, put your headphones on, Peter. Uh, uh. Oh, yeah. Come on, put your arms around. <laughs> I want to hug you and hug you and hug you some more right through all these microphone cables. <laughs> Go ahead. I know I'm in the right time, in the right space. Do you feel that? I'm Helga Davis. I'm not even sure how to begin to talk about my next guest, Henry Threadgill. I became aware of him first through another composer, someone who was a friend and mentor, Lawrence Butch Morris. I would always see them talking together in the street in the East Village, and I knew that Henry was one of his best friends. Let me back up for one second and talk about Butch Morris. Butch Morris was really the first person who gave me a chance. I didn't think I was supposed to be a singer or a performer. I didn't know what I was going to do. But Butch heard me, and, you know, it's, it's that thing where somebody looks at you and they can see you, and all of the things that seem to be contradictions to other people make absolute sense to them. And he wrote some music for me. He wrote some music for me and gave me some tools that also brought out the composer in me. Butch died a couple of years ago. I really miss him so much, and I think I've never given myself a chance to miss him. And there's something about this conversation with Henry that opens that door a little bit because they were such great friends. And this conversation helps to create a space for me to feel that loss, to mourn that loss, but to also celebrate my way of being here, of being in the world, of being a singer, of being a performer. And then Butch died, and there was something in me that emotionally moved closer to Henry not just as a composer, but as also a link to my musical heritage, if you will, and a nod toward the future. Even though he hasn't written any music for voice for a long time, I still feel part of his lineage. I feel myself to be part of his musical conversation with the world. And so I was really, really happy today to sit down and talk with him. So this morning on the train, uh-huh. I'm listening, right? Uh-huh. 
that. And I was listening to this figure over and over and over and over and over again. For how many, how many times do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> I just started to think about this thing of repetition. And the thing that people don't get mm-hmm. about something that repeats in that way is you have to fucking play it every time. Right. So it's not a thing that is, that is automatic. It doesn't stay alive. It doesn't stay interesting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't stay necessary or vital to um to a listener if you're not playing it every right. time right so we're talking about olocks now or we're right. talking about your jam we're talking about this Th- yeah that's the zero epic right seropic S- seropic right. excuse Seropic. me that's the percussion mm-hmm. one right mm-hmm. the percussion you're saying first you don't even know how many times it repeats no. No, and so when you were recording it mm-hmm. what's on the manuscript what's on the paper well the recorded version is, is different than the live version okay you know like uh like the ballet version of firebird mm-hmm. by Stravinsky, as opposed to the concert version mm-hmm. well my music is arranged that way too the recording is more like the ballet version the concert version is far more flexible. It does a lot of things that you can't do on a recorder. You don't have enough time. Listening time is different when you have people in front of you live. So that's why how many times something can occur on a record is different from how many times it can occur in the presence of people because the people is, is the other factor that changes. They're the, the fourth ar- beetle yes, or the yeah, fifth they, beetle. That's what changes the audio experience. Huh. See, there is no audience, so the recorded version, in a way, is doesn't have as much patience. Huh. <laughs> really? That's correct. See, because you're really not engaged. I'm not engaged, and the public is not engaged. We're looking in on it. We're not in it. Hmm. So what you might do live might be, Ten times repetition, well, now that's going to have to change because of the constraints, not just the constraints of the physical disc itself, but the constraints of the, of the fact that there's no live audience there that's determining that. Because we have you got to remember, we live in a time our, our attention span has dramatically shrunk. And you feel the effect of that as oh, a composer? Of oh, of course. You have to be aware of these things. You put things up in front of people that can't, that have no, uh, their attention span is five minutes, and now you can, here you come with 10, 15 minutes. You know, you can stretch them, but at a certain point, the rubber band pops. And you don't feel any need or necessity to retrain people to sit and to listen and to pay attention and to to be with you and not have to check a phone or to oh yeah but i can't do anything it's not i can't i can't do that uh by imposing that on the audience there's other things that have to happen to help bring that about it's not my place to train and retrain the audience you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um any kind of author that's putting anything in front of people visually and audio-wise, if you're not aware of what the tolerance level is and what the ability is to perceive and recognize things, you put too many images up in front of a person, our ability to grasp it, there is a place where we no longer 
understand what we're looking at or what we're hearing. Too much stimuli. If you're not aware of that, then you're not, you're going to, whatever you're making is going to be a failure. That in, in tandem with the uh, tolerance level that we're experiencing right now, short, short period of being able to stand being alone, to listen to music, to read a book. It's all been sh- become so small, and we have to recognize that good or bad is human behavior, and, def- and it defines humans that you're making uh, art for. So my position is a best pay attention to the subject matter. <laughs> and the subject matter? <laughs> is the public. No sense in me designing something for you to put on the run in and you're only going to walk in it, you know. No sense to give you no running suit when you're just going to be walking in it, you know. It might be better for you, like you said, to uh, for us to retrain the public, but I can't do that. Or maybe that, you don't uh, even want to do that. Right. Like no, you I don't, don't want to that do that. That's part of because your work. it has... <laughs> There's some factors that have nothing to do with art and music that has brought it about in the first place. Which you think are? Oh, um, mostly uh, technology, all the technology that we're using. So everything is about now, 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 me, me, me. I want self-gratification right now. I'm becoming less, less social, less, less social. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to make friends. And... It's okay until it starts to bother me and I start to get depressed and I need medication. Otherwise, the more I'm cut off, the better. Your patience has changed. Your tolerance level has changed. You have been ta- you've taken part, too, in this isolationism that has brought about your ability to sit and uh, in quiet or alone or to tolerate this pattern over and over and over over or any such thing that equals that. But Henry, you don't think that music can be the thing that bridges or that changes all of that, that brings us back into a more social situation? You think music plays a role in or should, or you hope it will, or you don't care, like in in getting, in putting the people back together? Of course it plays a part in it, but I'm just saying it's, it's not an obligation. Okay. The intent is totally different, you know. The purpose and intent is, you know, uh, let human services or social services or psychological services deal with these kind of issues, (laughs) you know. Okay, I hear you. You have quite a unique trajectory. So you're from Chicago, Mm -hmm. and then after Chicago, Where'd you go? Did I you came go to, to New York. You came to New York? Right. And then when did you go to Vietnam? When I was still in Chicago. Okay. Right. After after I had started about two, three years of college, of junior college, third year of college or something like that. I think it's, it's such an audacious thing mm-hmm. for an African-American man mm-hmm. in 1950-something mm-hmm. to be a composer. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I started out teaching myself to play the piano when I was about three, basically because of Boogie Woogie. You know, when I heard that music on the radio, I couldn't help it. I had to learn how to play it. 
And though my hands were too small, I still learned how to play enough of it. But the next discovery was that I wanted to know how, not how to play it. I did want to know how to play it, but how do you make this? How, how did someone oh. come up with something like this? Oh. That was always so. I always wanted to be a composer from the very beginning because I always was dealing with how did this come about. At the earliest stages of when I started taking any lessons or anything, and that always stayed with me. You know, how do they do it? How do you write a Moby Dick? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you how do you come up with something like that? How do you write a lush life? So, can you talk a little bit about how you've answered how? Well, this is taken. This is taken all of my life. Mm-hmm. Remember, it is only you and your imagination. That's what you have. You have to give license to your imagination for most of your life, which is like kind of wild thing to do, and. <laughs> irresponsible in some people's thinking. <laughs> 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 well, that's what you have to do. It's the same kind of behavior, mental behavior that's practiced by scientists and great research people because it's only through wasting time and daydreaming and giving vent to the most wildest and absurd thoughts that you'll ever tap into this. What were those things for you? So you're three oh, years old, well, and you know I've, that you want you you want to know the how of the thing. So who's in your family? What's around no, you? No, it's nothing around me. I learned that on my own. I taught myself how to play the piano on my own. Every day when the radio came on to play, when that music came on, I went to the piano to try to emulate it. But I was just learning how to play what I was hearing. Okay. And at the same time, the other thing is in the back of my mind about how. Mm-hmm. So I'm riding two horses here, you know, and I haven't begun to, by the time I graduated from high school, I've written my first piece. Oh, wow. And by the time I get to junior college, I've written, start to write a lot more music, and I've written out for orchestra. So you, that first piece was for what instrumentation? No particular. It was a piece called Ornette. <laughs> As in Coleman? <laughs> yes, uh-huh. right. That's what it was. I knew that one way to understand things was to analyze. Things. So who were you? Who were you analyzing? Everything. It did everything. Tell me. Everything. I, all of the classics. All Maybe. of it. Tell me. Bach, from Bach on. Okay. Everything that I came in touch with until I understood everything it was to know about it. And what were you looking for? I just, I wasn't looking for anything. I just wanted to know how, how did you build this house? When I saw a house, I wanted to see how it was built and everything had to explain to me how everything worked. What was the architecture? How did the the architectural uh, mathematics work out? You know, that's what I needed to know. 
But what I found out, it still did not give me, it still it gave me an ability to understand that, but it did not give fire my imagination to do it. It didn't give me really what I thought it would give me. Hmm. I can understand what they did, but that doesn't, I'm not trying to do what they did. Right. So where is that, what do I gain? I learned some things about what people did, so I saw some things that were successful that you could do. So they were principles, basically. Mm -hmm. The principles bypass any styles and traditions. Principles bypass all these things. So I learned that, uh, which I've been able to keep and use as a basis to critique myself when I'm doing things. Uh, but the to finally move all the way to the position of the teacher is through a long <laughs> journey of having the information and goods to teach yourself hmm. and to lead yourself. To lead yourself where you haven't been before. Can you talk to me a little bit about being a musician in Vietnam and how if at all, that experience is inside your composition? Everything that uh, uh, that we experience when you act into, in a creative capacity as artists do, is everything that you've picked up that's uh, informing you. Your decisions and views and feelings, et cetera, are a result of all of these things in this big mixing bowl. You can't separate them. We try. You put them in a bowl and then you start stirring it up, forget mm -hmm. it, you know. Really no active experience as a composer in Vietnam. I played in, in the band, in the 4th Infantry Band. There's two nouns there, right? Band and what's the other? Infantry. Yeah. You're both. Mm-hmm. Fourth Infantry, Fourth Infantry Band. Band. Mm -hmm. Both. So you have, now you have two occupations. Your primary occupation is band. Your secondary, which you call an MO. And mine was shotgun, the right shotgun. Like, you used to see old westerns where they got stagecoach, one guy driving, the other guy sitting there, and he's mm -hmm. a shotgun. Well, did that on trucks, on convoys. So, but to play music, having played music in the United States, you play music in a social world that's acting generally civilized, generally civilized, not under the threat of being killed and blown up while you're playing music. That's an entire different type of uh, total environment now to be trying to play any kind of music. The silliest music you can think of. I don't. It doesn't even matter what the music is. To think that you're going to be concentrating on this harmonica or this thumb piano and looking left and right in the sky to see what's going to happen around you. That's a whole different experience with music. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Is it a kind of divided self also? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Of course. It's always a divided self because because self-preservation has to come first. So that means that all of the things that's been turned on 
in you, all the alert systems and all the training has to be on full alert at all the times. 24 hours, you don't really sleep good because you have to stay on. You have to stay on immediate alert. You, you cannot afford to Well, like, your life and the lives around you yeah, depend on that. Yeah, yeah, you know, something go off, you can't get up, you can't wake up, well, you mm-hmm. might not wake up. Right, so, right. When you came back, were your people still here? Were your contemporaries still in the States, or had they gone to, the musicians? to Paris? Oh, uh, no, uh, some of them had. Some, ha- some had left for Paris. Uh, you didn't make that move? No, when I, no. Uh, I got back in 69. I came back to Chicago. I came through St. Louis. Uh, when I left them, I wasn't even, I, I, had, I played with the experimental band, which was the forerunner to the ACM. I played in there briefly with Muhal when he first came up with that. Then I left them and I went into sanctified music. I traveled with sanctified people playing gospel music. Really? Yeah, with Horace Shepard. Horse Shepherd out of Philadelphia, the great Horse Shepherd. You could look, you could look him up. He mm-hmm. was he was considered a child wonder. He was preaching when he was a child all over America. He had a big troop like Billy Graham was a black troop. It was we we were. I don't think Billy Graham would have wanted to have been in the same space with what we had. The talent, <laughs> the talent was unbelievable. The talent was um, it was off the it was off the look it was off the radar what we had. I'm telling you. I'm just. I'm. Tr- what were you? Were you playing piano or no, saxophone? saxophone? No, saxophone. Alan Turner was on piano. The Simpson family out of Philadelphia. Some of the greatest musicians. Every, mention this name Simpson in Philadelphia, and see don't they know Evelyn and every one of them. The choirs, the singers. It was a whole entourage, and our job was to prepare the people for Horace Shepherd to come <laughs> up. What was that? Henry. That was incredible because it was sanctified. So it was, I mean, it was completely wild. It was wide open. Do you feel in in a certain way that you still do that, though? That, that Oh, I learned everything. I learned so much from that. I mean, believe me, I, I never stopped practicing what I learned from that. But I mean that it's still in you as a composer, the, the connection to spirit. Of course. To of course. Definitely. You know, the life force in me, people have names, different names for the life force in them. But it's energy. The only thing that science seems to be able to tell us about energy is we can't destroy it. You can change it. It can change, but you cannot destroy it. So wherever you house it, it is only being housed until it has to change. The confusion happens in people's mind with the housing and what's being stored in the house. Say more about that. That's all I can really say about it. What's in the house, there's the house and what's in the house. Mm-hmm. And the confusion happens with what's... What's in the house? Is that what you're saying? What's being stored What's in, in the, the house? house? And what is the house? <coughs> and what is the house about? And what could happen is to think that the house is connected to what's in the house. 
The mouse is in the house. (laughs) (laughs) It's a coincidence the mouse is just in the house. You understand? It's just a coincidence. He could be in the barn. (laughs) How come you came to New York? Because New York was the cultural market. Why does farmers come to the 14th Street? <laughs> it's the market. Chicago was had done everything it was to do. The ceiling was right on top of my head. There was no room above my head. I came here in 69 when I got out of the service. I came up and did a reconnaissance of New York. I came up, I was here for the entire summer. I stayed in Spanish Harlem. I played around, I played at Slugs, a number of places. But I was re- assessing New York to see what was happening and should I come now? And my decision was no. I said, I'm not coming here and be no side man. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you didn't know. But like, like I looked at that, I said, well, that's not, that wasn't my thing in Chicago. I said, mm-hmm. you know, I said, no. I said, when I come back here, I have to come back here whole and delivering what I do completely. Not compromising, not trying to get with somebody else. I have to come with what I have to give. That's it. That's when I'll be back. So I went back and worked on that and put air together. And then we came in 75. You've made very few, if any, concessions that I can tell uh, around the music in terms of how big it is, how many people you have in an ensemble at one time. Can you talk about how you were able to to stay true to your idea of what your music was, your composition, and keeping a band together, keeping an ensemble together, not compromising, and being able to still support yourselves? Well, you know, it's really simple on one plane. I could only do something that I've set up and prescribed myself to do. There's no way for me to change the parameters parameters, and the dynamics of something. Uh, I've designed this for you to be able to dance in it. You can jump up, you can squat, you can roll over, but you can't jump out the window in it. If you jump out the window, you're going to kill yourself in it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to fly in this. Now, I got another outfit you could jump out the window with, but not in this one. So I'm constrained by what I've designed for myself. So there is no discussion. People can hammer at me, say, oh, look, you need to cut this down. I can't change it, you know. Get somebody else is all I can tell you. Might as well get somebody else. I can't do it. This is the way it's made up. All of the things, the groups I've developed, I've had them for long periods. Yes. But uh, leading groups, that's a, a whole occupation in Which itself. is separate from being a composer yes, and separate from being, being a musician. In... It has to do with leadership and how to go further with people past what they are comfortable with or they you know a lot of times we say people are comfortable and uncomfortable. Well you comfortable with something and you operate at that level and it's very fine. Everybody think that you're at the height of proficiency or whatever. That's fine. Then you have this other level, this so-called level of uncomfort. 
that you give uh, uh, a meaning to that is totally untrue. You say, you say oh, this is where the I'm uncomfortable for at this point. Just I start sticking you with this pen. I say, how Helga, can you feel that? I'm just touching your arms. Say, yeah. Then I start going to say, oh, I feel that a little bit more. And you say, I say, let me know when it hurt. It's you say it's starting to hurt. <laughs> See, now, now I say okay, I'm going to say yeah, it's hurting. Then I say yeah, but it can hurt a lot more, can't it? <laughs> you see how I, it can hurt a lot more. See, that's the thing. See, when you reverse that in ter- in terms of like our capacities. Uh, that becomes a challenge. Why is it a challenge? Because an artist is operating on this acceptable level that they're so good at this level, everybody knows they're good. I'm not questioning that. What I'm questioning is there's another territory that if we design the right programs, we can go into that territory that you haven't been into. That's the only way you can make a move. You can get back perfectly well at a level of excellency, and everybody says, oh, that's excellent. I, that's fine. But there's someplace else that if you go into the time-wasting dreaming world with me, if we get the right kind of dynamics to deal with, there's another place to go. Henry. Let's talk a little bit about Butch. Yeah. Um, I miss him very much. I know a lot of people miss Butch very much. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, my birthday's on the 8th, and mm-hmm. Butch's birthday's on the 10th, and you're on the 15th. Right. And it was always nice to walk, to be walking around right. around that time exactly. and run into you uh-huh. and just yell, Happy birthday, Henry. But talk talk to me about your your friendship with him. You know, sometimes you meet people and it's almost, you have this natural kind of blend. It's a chemistry. Well, we kind of had that from the beginning. Um, his his first his wife and my uh, my and uh, my daughter's mother were great friends in Chicago, and we didn't even know each other. They knew each other, and our kids grew up right together. Alexander and Payne grew up together. Butch and I met after, wow. and we both had been in play coup. Wow! But we didn't know each other in play coup in North in in, in uh, Vietnam, in, right? Because he was a medic. We met in New York, and we just like, as people, nothing to do with music, nothing to do with anything. Just two spirits, two people that like, that just kind of hit it off. Then when we moved from there to the music, and then we found out that we had had these other previous experiences, you know, that we didn't know anything, but shared experiences. So it just kept broadening. And Butch was interested in things, you know. Um, he wasn't a stylist in terms of his thinking. I'm not a stylist either, you know. Always looking and seeking and trying to understand the things that he even thought he understood. And 
once he got on this whole business about conduction, he was completely absorbed. Because, you know, Bush was like writing very good music, you know, and a lot of people were, was doing Bush's stuff. He could write some very nice pieces of music, you know, that he could always get somebody that wanted to play his music, too. You know, that was the thing about it. I didn't get too many people recording my music, you know. No? No. Mm -mm. It didn't matter to me anyway, you mm -hmm. know. It's, it's been nice if people have played it, but, like, you know, times have changed in terms of that anyway, you know what musicians practice in terms of the repertory, the general body of musicians. The general body of musicians had a concept about people like me and Butch anyway, that we were, uh, that we were something, that we were like, this This word free has been very damaging. I never played anything free. I never was part of anything free. The AHCM, we were definitely not involved in what they call free music. We were not involved in that. And that's what we were classified. We were definitely not a part of that at all. And I remember, too, even when I worked with Butch, that one of the things he would always say to us is that you are a composer. Mm -hmm. When you open your mouth, when you, you must think compositionally, you can take risks, but mm -hmm. it's not chance. Right, music. it's not chance. None right. of it is chance. Right. You can take a risk, right. but, but it's not chance. At right. all. Right. When you just improvise, you're not necessarily going, you don't have to constantly be in the rear. You have to be in the rear because compositionally, you're more like a, a literary writer when he creates a character where you have to create a backstory. His actions is based on the fact that you've developed a backstory on it. You know who his parents were and his grandparents were and who beat him up as a child and why he didn't like eating grits and why his shoes were never fitting him right. But that's not in the story, but it is in the backstory. So it is the basis for his behavior. So it's the basis for you playing certain things, writing certain things as a composer. There's a backstory. But with improvising, you don't. Mm -hmm. you, you, you remain in the moment so much. It's, it's moment to moment. That's what it is. Contempor it's, it's spontaneous, extemporaneous improvisation. Mm. And it's enough for the man to be in that moment. Yes. <laughs> and so you were saying that you feel that you and he both were very damaged by this word free. Yeah. Or it's damaging. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, damaged in the sense that it put people off and kept people at a distance and people made assumptions. You know, when I say that, I tell everybody that you're a hot dog, they say, oh, come on now. You know, I'm not going over there and having anything to do with hell. I thought she was a hamburger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I can't deal with no hot dog. She got mustard and relish all over herself. No, I'm not going to see her. You know? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, I do. And come to, then come to find out, well, Helga's not a hot dog. She's actually caviar. She's not even a hamburger. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So this is worldwide perception, and it has to do with people say, don't call him to write that. Don't call him to play so-and-so. And you and Butch had this kind of camaraderie once you met each other yeah. and you knew each other. And tell me what you feel his his absence um, is? Well, his absence is purely personal. It's, it's uh, You know, you don't have this person It's selfish to you. I don't have this friend around that, like, I could talk to about certain things. But certainly, 
what he did is not absent. Mm-hmm. The advances he made, what he was showing people and demonstrating is still here, you know, and people will, are practicing it and have learned from it and they're going on with it in their own ways. So it's just a personal thing. I, it's, now I don't have anybody in the neighborhood I can call up and talk to about this. Mm-hmm. See, What about that, Henry, that your, your contemporaries are leaving this plane then, then I have to just have to replace them, won't I? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I ask that question, too. Like, who who are the heirs of this music that you're making As far right as I'm now? concerned, all of, these, all of these musicians that I'm playing with right now, the people that's in Double Up and the people that's in Zoet and the musicians that's going to be in the, the, the new... Ensemble that I'm premiering next year. I'm premiering a new large ensemble next year called 14 or 15 Kestra, A-G-G. It's all the musicians that I play with put together. That's Double Up plus Zuid plus Zuid with Brass. And these musicians, Roman Field, Curtis McDonald, David Perez, Jason Moran, L.A. Cave, Christopher Hoffman, Jose Dabla, Liberty Auburn. These are the greatest musicians of this time, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody put out a book, I Walk With Giants. Well, I'm walking with giants right now, and I know it. See, I don't have to wait for one day, or everybody wait for so much time. So you, oh, you, they, they were, no, they're giants now. It's better to be walk with the giants right now and know it than to be talking about them and, and it'd be a historical reference to them. People have to un- begin to understand who these people are. But there's a little confusion right now because you still have some of the old masters that's still lingering, not lingering, but just still around. And the refusal to turn loose the past, we know how great Roy Haynes was, or you know what I'm saying, uh, Barry Harris. They were great, and you can't see who the new great people are because of that. Because you can't compare these people. Remember, you can never compare artists to any other artists. Art exists in time only. It exists only in the time that you live. It's the most significant moment is the when you're housed in the house that you live in at the time that you live in this particular world. That is the time, your greatest significance. That is when you are informed. That is when art is informed by its time. It comes out of a social context. So therefore, you can't compare artists of this time with some other time. You'll never be as great as Charlie Parker. Only way you could do back, you have to turn the clock back and live at the time of Charlie Parker. That's the only way you can be great as Charlie Parker. The only way you can be greater than Horowitz is to go and live at the time of Horowitz because you're informed by all of the information, innuendos, etc., of that time, the significant aspects of life that contribute to you being the artist that you are. Once that moment has passed, that moment has definitely passed, and we're into another period. So you cannot equate people of now with another time. The confusion comes with a lot of musicians that become stylized and start doing the music of another period. And so they're constantly in compar- being compared to a musician and they'll never match up, to, they'll never be as great as them, forget it. 
You're not going to outdo Coleman Hawkins. Forget it. You're wasting your time. You're not going to do it. You'll have to do exactly what they did. You'll have to do something new and fresh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what they did. Mm -hmm. I would be remiss if I did not ask you the obvious question or to talk about this question. There's one. There's one in the room. And it is about winning this prize, about winning the Pulitzer. What does it change for you, if anything? Okay. It changes in the minds of a lot of people who I am in the value of what I am and the value of what I do. How you feel about that? I think that's fine. It's a plus, it's not a minus. To be recognized at what you're doing on any level is always a wonderful thing because the practitioner of art is not always uh, rewarding. You know, you just have to stay regardless. And anytime there's confirmation and uh, approval or of what you're doing, it always is a welcome because I'm telling you, you spend a lot of days out in the cold. <laughs> you know, when somebody say, there's room at the end, thank you. <laughs> I can come in and have a cup of tea, believe me. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you know, you should never get depressed or feel down about what's happening when you take up this thing to deliver art to the people. If that's what you're doing, I deliver art to the people. So I can't take it too personal because I know what I'm for. What, what is, it's not for me. See, if it was for me, I could have more disappointment. See, so people that are doing things and it's more about them, they get more disappointment. I'm not getting no disappointment because it's not about me. I'm getting something for you. I can be disappointed I can't get it to you, but it's certainly not personally about satisfaction on my part, if you can keep that kind of viewpoint clear in your mind as to what is it that I do, then you can protect yourself emotionally, psychologically. Don't be thin-skinned about this. This is going gonna to be some, like my, my, one of my favorite gospel songs, you say, I've had some good days and I've had some bad days and I've got some mountains to climb. Is there anything else that you... Do you want to say, you know, I don't want to miss anything, but maybe this will just be the first of several times that we get to sit down and talk to one another. I like that. Several times. That means I have to come back. Come on back. (laughs) See, that means I have to come back. So that means I have to be here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that means I, I, I can't leave and me, here. And I do have to be here too, right? And that means that I can't leave here. So therefore, now you're acting almost in a godly capacity. I, I, have to, I have to stay on earth. I have to keep living because you want me to come back here. So therefore, I cannot change. I do. I do want you to come back. <laughs> you understand, right? So I, I do. I do. I, I, and I, I hear that change, responsibility. See? So, like, thank you very much if you're going to help me back, because that means I, I shall continue to live in this house. Come on, put your arms around me. <laughs> Helga, I enjoyed that so, interview. Wow. So, so, so I've been waiting a long time to have this conversation with Henry Threadgill. I'm so happy for all of the great things that are happening with him, that continue to happen with him, with his music. 
And I'm really glad to, to connect to this part of my musical legacy, to remember my friend Butch Morris through him and with him. And so now I'm wondering how we can connect that with you. You can always reach out to me at helga at wqxr.org or follow me on Facebook because I want to know whether or not something in today's conversation resonated with you. Is there something in your creativity that has been sparked that you'd like to share? This episode of Helga was produced by Julia Alsop, Curtis McDonald, and executive producer Alex Ambrose, with original music by Alex Overington. Special thanks to Cindy Kim, Lorraine Maddox, Michael Alcesser, Jacqueline Sincotta, and John Chow.